Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We don't yet have a vaccination for COVID-19, but already Idaho is preparing for distribution. But in the meantime, we're still dealing with spikes and with Idahoans who refuse to mask up. I'm Melissa Davlin, Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, James Dawson of Boise State Public Radio joins me to discuss vaccinations and the state's management of COVID-19. Then Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News gives us an update on school and campus reopenings. But first, after news broke on Friday of President Donald Trump's positive COVID-19 test, other officials in his orbit discovered that they too had tested positive, including a number of people who had attended Saturday's White House ceremony at which the president nominated Judge Amy Coney Barrett for the U.S. Supreme Court. Idaho U.S. Senator Mike Crapo was also at that ceremony. On Friday morning, I spoke to the senator's communication director, who told me that Crapo wasn't experiencing symptoms and has tested negative for COVID-19 in the last seven days. He couldn't tell me, however, whether he had been tested since Friday's news broke. The White House ceremony was, of course, just six days prior to that announcement. We'll continue to follow this story and post updates online. On Thursday, Governor Broad Little announced that the state of Idaho is already preparing to distribute a yet-to-be-approved COVID-19 vaccination. Here in Idaho, we've been planning for the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines for months. It's important for Idahoans to know that enrolling providers distributing vaccine and tracking vaccine doses are activities that are not new to our state agencies. We do this every day at the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare with our immunization program. At the same time, COVID-19 vaccine distribution presents unprecedented new challenges, which Dr. Hahn will explain in a bit. We are engaged in an all hands on deck approach to make sure Idaho is ready when the initial supply of COVID vaccine is available. Um, this is a new vaccine. The challenges are many. Um, the, the first one is many of our immunization programs and plans. We talk to people about vaccines that have been around for years and years, and we can talk about the safety record. We can talk about what great benefits that vaccine has already shown, whether it's a flu shot or whether it's a meningitis shot. This is a new vaccine. We're all going uh, to be um, talking about it without that history of years and years of experience with it. Um, we need to work hard to, doubly hard to communicate, not only to the general public about this vaccine, for which there is, of course, a concern about safety and efficacy, concern is it being pushed out too quickly. We need to not only stay informed ourselves, but communicate, first of all, to our healthcare providing community, our doctors, our uh, experts in vaccines around the state, so that they also feel comfortable not only receiving the vaccine because healthcare workers will probably be among the first or the first group vaccinated to be offered that vaccine, uh, they need to be comfortable with it themselves. So that is one reason why the advisory committee that the governor announced will certainly include representatives from the healthcare sector 
uh, around the state. Earlier this week, The Atlantic published information about how fragile some of the vaccinations in development are and how some being tested must be stored at temperatures as low as negative 94 degrees. That means even more distribution challenges. On Thursday, I asked Dr. Christine Hahn about whether that puts some rural Idaho hospitals at a disadvantage. First point is that is one of the vaccines, you know, under development. We don't know yet if that's the one or one of the vaccines that will be approved. And secondly, CDC has already informed the states that they will uh, purchase needed uh, freezers and make sure that they're distributed if that type of cold, uh, extreme cold vaccine is, uh, storage for a vaccine is required. That said, and Dr. Bridges could elaborate on this if, if there's more discussions been had, but we certainly uh, realize we have to be ready for that. It's not, it's outside of the most vaccines either uh, can be stored in a refrigerator or possibly a, a normal freezer, if you will. To watch the full press conference, visit the Idaho PTV Facebook page. On Friday, James Dawson of Boise State Public Radio joined me to talk about the press conference and how some Idahoans are skeptical of vaccinations with much more established track records. Thanks so much for joining us today, James. In Thursday's press conference, there was a big focus on vaccinations. Uh, but there's a question as far as how many people will actually take advantage of the vaccination if and when it's available. Yeah, and, and I think this is a problem across the country, but especially in Idaho, since uh, state lawmakers have over the past several years been rolling back vaccine regulations and, and requirements for uh, school children, basically all you need is a parent or guardian to sign a piece of paper saying that I want to opt my child out and you don't have to go through the schedule of vaccinations. I mean, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say that Idaho's kindergartners are the second least vaccinated in the country. Uh, if you look at the state statistics, you've got vaccine opt-out rates uh, surging by 25% over the past few years. Uh, you've got several counties uh, in school districts where the opt-out rate is above 20%. And in case in the case of uh, the Wallace School District in Shoshone County, we're talking about 33% um, have at least one opt-out uh, for one vaccine. So I, I mean, conceivably, this is going to be a huge problem. And when I asked Governor Little about it, uh, he said that not having a mandate would actually make it easier uh, to get people to comply with getting the vaccine, which um, doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, and, and we hear this argument with masks, right? That if you mandate it, there's going to be a pushback in places like uh, some Idaho counties, for example. Uh, but we're not exactly seeing people sign on, sign on to mask wearing in a lot of these hotspots in our state if they're not mandated. Right. I mean, we only have a handful of these mandates across the states uh, in Ada Valley, a uh, couple of counties in eastern Idaho, but everywhere else is pretty much just adopting you know, these recommendations. And we see uh, cases just continue to climb there, especially uh, we saw that with Canyon County earlier this year. We see it uh, in a whole lot of places that, you know, recommendations can be there, but people just aren't necessarily going to follow them. You touched on the opt-out rates, and Dr. Christine Hahn, the state epidemiologist, talked a little bit about how we have special challenges with the COVID vaccination that is forthcoming because we aren't able, physicians aren't able to reassure the public about the vaccine's track record because this is a brand new vaccination. 
It is. Uh, and you have several public health officials and these companies that are developing these vaccines as well, uh, committing themselves to, uh, you know, the safest, uh, you know, testing process possible. They say that they will not release it before it's ready. Uh, but, you know, people are legitimately concerned that this is happening at warp speed. No vaccine in the history, uh, you know, of the world has has you know, uh, taken this short of time to be developed, tested, and then administered, uh, you know, that, that we know of, right? And so uh, people are just worried that something might be missed in this process or that uh, the vaccine trials aren't as rigorous. You know, also at the press conference, Governor Little spent the first few minutes talking about the importance of the state of emergency that is currently in place in Idaho and all of the other states and really talking about what it does and what it doesn't do. And that was interesting because that was a big topic of discussion during the special session uh, in August, where there were a lot of lawmakers who were skeptical about the need for that spot or that uh, extreme emergency declaration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had the House vote to strip it, right? And and just exit Idaho out of it, which the Senate did not take up, uh, but had its own uh, resolution saying that, you know, we're going to examine a whole lot of things come January. Uh, and this emergency declaration, we should say, you know, is normal for flooding, uh, forest fires, you know, a whole host of natural disasters that really just uh, allows Idaho to get some kind of federal aid to to assist it with it um and they can last a long time you have some that last several years um but it doesn't mean that there are restrictions placed upon uh the state as a whole uh you know which is something that he was very clear in trying to get across that you know stage four just basically means that a very small number of businesses uh ha are recommended even just to open in limited capacity. There's no enforcement and there's no regulation telling them they can't open. Yeah, and this is the eighth time that we have stayed in stage four since the beginning of this pandemic. Um, is there any real difference for the average Idahoan who is going about their daily lives operating in stage four and having no stages at all, just exiting out of this completely? Not really. I mean, the only things that you can think of are uh, maybe assisted living facilities uh, for seniors might be uh, taking some more precautions. They can be open, right, for visitors, but if they see cases spiking, even without, uh, you know, in Ada County, we're in a modified stage three uh, designation, I guess. Uh, you know, even if you aren't in that, I guess, uh, I don't know, um, step back, as it were, for, for regulations, then uh, they might be taking a little bit more cautious approach and, and limiting visitors, but still allowing them. Uh, but no, the average Idahoan isn't seeing anything uh, and anything that's being implemented is being implemented by their local public health district. You know, I had asked the governor about the legislature's desire uh, that was stated pretty plainly to end the state of emergency and didn't get a very clear answer as far as whether or not he is willing to end that state of emergency as lawmakers had implied he had agreed to. It, you've sat in on most, if not all, of the governor's press conferences and calls with AARP Idaho. And I'm wondering, uh, over the course of this pandemic, has his tone 
changed? Has his willingness to answer these questions changed? It's a tough one, right? Um, because it's something subjective that that isn't easy to track. Um, if his tone has changed, I would say it's more so in that he doesn't seem to want to be the bad guy anymore, right? I mean, he he took a lot of heat back in March and April, maybe somewhat into May. Um, but ever since he handed off control of this response to the public health districts in June, I mean, he's been pretty hands off just in terms of uh, having any kind of statewide response or um, being heavy handed in telling uh, either health districts or cities what to do. Right. Um, and, and so, I, you know, it's it's hard. He's been he's been pretty I don't know, bullish on Idaho's economic recovery. Uh, you know, that seems to be what he wants to talk about all the time. We have this 4.2% unemployment rate, third best in the country. Um, and, and that's the message that he wants to get across. It's almost like he doesn't want the pandemic to really take up, you know, half or more of his first term, uh, especially because 2022 is not that far away, uh, especially you know, in pandemic time, it might seem like an eon away, but it's really not. And he won that primary by 9,000 votes. You have to wonder if that's in the back of his mind, if, uh, you know, former Congressman Raul Labrador is going to challenge him again, uh, or Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan, right? With news early Friday morning that the president and first lady had tested positive and the recent spike in cases here in Idaho, our third one since the beginning of this, do you anticipate or do you see Idahoans taking the message to heart that this is serious, that masking up really does help? Or do you think we're kind of stuck in this uh, where we've been for a while, where uh, a lot of people aren't wearing masks and and aren't thinking that this is a serious problem. Yeah, I, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I think that a whole lot of people, especially those that I talk to or I see on social media or I talk to my you know friends and family, uh, I think there's just a whole lot of COVID fatigue, which is something the governor has been talking about, right? And so... Uh, People are just, they just want it to be over. And the thing with pandemics is they don't just automatically uh, stop one day. And and so will people start wearing masks suddenly? Maybe. I mean, that that's always a possibility. Uh, you know, but if if we look back at the track record, it, it just seems clear that anyone who is going to wear a mask is already wearing a mask. And those who don't want to aren't going to. I get that covid fatigue. Uh, absolutely. Jane, Same. thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Melissa. If you've been tuning in to our daily COVID-19 updates, you know that Idaho is currently experiencing a third spike in cases. Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News joined me Friday to discuss how some of those are linked to campus reopenings. Thanks so much for joining us on this very slow news day, Kevin. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, we are a few weeks into schools opening across the state. Let's start with higher ed. What do we know? What we know at this point is that uh, this demographic, this 18 to 29 year old demographic seems to be the area where we're seeing the most growth in coronavirus cases statewide. And a lot of that is being tied to college and university campuses. And, and the numbers are not good for, for several campuses. Uh, university of Idaho has seen its case numbers double over the past couple of weeks uh, tied 
to activity and uh, cases in the, the fraternity and sorority houses. They don't think it's tied to uh, classroom instruction at this point, but the, the numbers have increased pretty sharply uh, up at Moscow. Numbers continue to grow at Boise State to the point where uh, Boise State reported on Friday that almost about half of the isolation beds set aside at the beginning of the semester are in use. And that number continues to rise. We're seeing rising numbers at BYU-Idaho, Idaho State University. Basically, across the entire university complex, it seems like the, the case numbers are increasing. Are there any community campuses or anything that seem to be doing this right that aren't seeing these huge increases in cases? Well, I think when you look at some of these uh, campuses, the, the numbers are quite a bit lower. I mean, College of Western Idaho has a case in point that they're seeing a few cases, uh, a few incidents involving coronavirus positive uh, people in campus buildings. CWI is a little bit different uh, animal, though, because it's, you know, it's a commuter college. There's no residence halls, so you don't have that, that potential for outbreaks tied to the uh, tied to residents. And to be clear, that these outbreaks on campuses aren't isolated, especially when we're talking about commuter campuses. This is something that affects the rest of the community, even if it's a lagging indicator. Exactly. And, you know, as I look at what's happening on the campuses and I look at what's happening in these counties, yeah, it's pretty easy to see some correlations. Madison County is, uh, is seeing some of the biggest increases in case numbers in the entire state. It's not entirely tied to what's been going on at BYU-Idaho, but that's definitely a factor. So, you know, the same thing with Latah County and the University of Idaho. The numbers in Latah County have increased sharply not exclusively because of what's happening on campus, but that's certainly a consideration and certainly a factor. Enrollment in higher education institutes has been a concern for a few years now for some of these institutions. Do you know yet how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting enrollment? We won't have really hard final figures from the Idaho institutions until later this month, but the preliminary figures would have you believe that the big drop off in enrollment that university officials were worried about, that hasn't materialized. It's kind of all over the place. Boise State is reporting that their enrollment might actually increase a little bit with students coming from out of state to enroll at Boise State in order to get some form of face-to-face -face learning that, that they can't get in their home states. University of Idaho, Idaho State University, they're expecting a, a drop off in enrollment, but it's in maybe the three to 4% range, not the you know, dramatic loss of enrollment in the 15 to 20% range that a lot of national uh, experts have been expecting. And the national numbers that, that we're seeing, they're very preliminary, indicate much the same thing, a drop, but not a huge drop. Let's talk K-12. What do we know and what don't we know? Well, I think there's an awful lot we don't know at this point. Uh, you know, the testing has been fairly limited statewide. And I think at a point when school districts and charter administrators are having to make uh, school reopening decisions or opening decisions, the data has been fairly limited. The test numbers have, have decreased uh, over the past few weeks, really going back to July and August. So that's a lot of what we don't know at this point. Uh, we don't know really on any consistent basis what kind of case numbers we're seeing in the K-12 system. It's been very inconsistent. Some districts have done a, a good job of getting data out publicly 
uh, Boise School District, good case in point, they've had a, uh, a database on their website since August. The West Ada School District, the largest district in the state, has not released data to that extent. That might change. Uh, as we speak here on Friday morning, uh, the Department of Health and Welfare is expected to launch a database on its uh, coronavirus page uh, on Friday, which should provide some school-by-school -school data. So we'll watch and see how much detail uh, that provides. A at this point, anything that brings some consistency, anything that puts more information out for parents has got to be an improvement over what we have right now, which is very inconsistent and has to be very frustrating and, and very you know, stressful for parents. And that lack of consistency has been a theme throughout this entire pandemic. We've seen different amounts of testing going on throughout the state, different health districts releasing different types of data. This just is an extension of that, it seems. Right. I mean, you have different, you have different testing rates. You have different uh, you know, levels of data being released. You have really no clear consistency of what a green status or a yellow status or an orange status or a red status means from county to county. As we track those case numbers, you know, what you would think would force a county like Madison County to be moved off of the, the yellow category to a more stringent orange or red, that, that hasn't happened. And, you know, I talked about Latah County, which has seen a big spike in cases. They're still in the green. They're still in that minimal risk category. So you're, you're right. There is there's a lot of inconsistency out there and i think that leads to a lot of confusion and i think that makes uh, things more difficult uh for parents uh to figure out what to do with with their kids you know k-12 or how concerned should they be if they have a, a son or a daughter on a college campus well in idaho education news has a fantastic map i have to say that shows county by county and and a, a graph that shows district by district what the different closures are, whether schools are in a blended learning model, whether or not they require masks for in-person instruction. Um, that isn't information that's been collated by anyone else as far as I can tell and published publicly, um, but it's it shows how different all of these situations are, not just county by county, but in some cases within the same county, district by district. It, it it's there's so much variation between schools and between districts and between communities and you know this is something that uh, we're updating daily because the situation changes daily as you can imagine 115 school districts 70 plus charter schools across the state uh, to call us a fluid situation would be an understatement so that's something that we're updating daily and you know we encourage our readers to look at it and if there's information that we need to update we we stand ready to do it. So, you know, we do need to crowdsource this thing a bit. One of the things you've mentioned and you've been following for a while now is testing. The governor on Thursday announced that um, several thousand rapid result tests are going to be deployed to school districts for teachers and students. What do we know about that? Well, we know that this could happen fairly quickly. You know, the press conference on Thursday, uh, State epidemiologist uh, Christine Hahn said that they hope to have some of these tests in the schools being administered by early next week. I think, you know, I think the shortage of testing data in the schools is a microcosm of what we're seeing at the state level, which is a microcosm of what we're seeing at the national level. Nobody has enough testing data. Nobody has as much information 
through testing as they would hope to receive. Um, what you're hearing the, the governor talking about and what uh, Dr. Hahn talked about on Thursday was let's target this testing in the schools and specifically let's target teachers and staff and let's get testing to them because you know, I think about last week and we had you know, some tragic news out of the Middleton School District. Uh, the district reported that an employee had died of COVID-19. Lost in that, in that tragic story is the fact that the district talked about and one of the trustees talked about the fact that about 25% of that district's staff is at risk of contracting COVID-19. They're in one of the risk groups. And I don't think that Middleton is an outlier there. I think if you, you know, talk to administrators around the state, you might hear a very similar story. You know, older staff members, older teachers, uh, maybe uh, you know, folks who have some existing health conditions, those are, the t those are the staff that are most at risk. And that's where, you know, your, your concern, you know, really may be centered in the schools. You know, we know the statistics about the effects of COVID-19 on on kids, we know that statistically, at this point, it looks like kids uh, are less likely to you know, to develop serious symptoms or or to pass away. But you know, we're talking about staff, and we're talking about you know staff and students in close quarters. No matter how much uh, you do in terms of social distancing and mask usage, you're still putting you're still putting people in close quarters, including. Uh, staff members or, or teachers who may be at risk and who may be very concerned about uh, the the peril that they, they, they feel. Yeah, and as we are looking at uh, more and more information that is coming out about the effects on not just children, but also staff members, do we know yet how that's affecting enrollment in public schools, especially in districts that allow for an online option? Are more parents pulling their children out of that in-person option? You know, here again, we're not going to have hard numbers on enrollment for a few weeks, but every indication points to uh, declining enrollment in the K-12 system. Um, one thing that I looked at about a week ago that's really a canary in the coal mine is uh, emergency levies, emergency school levies. Now, these are levies that school districts can impose at the beginning of the school year if they can chronicle an increase in enrollment. And high growth school districts across the state, like West Data, Twin Falls, Bonneville, they've been collecting these levies annually. It's been kind of a, you know, it's almost become routine for these districts to collect this levy because they have seen you know, hundreds of new students in the schools every year. None of those three districts are collecting an emergency levy this year. And the reason is their enrollment didn't go up. I mean, for West Ada, which has routinely seen five, six hundred new students every year, for West Ada to report no enrollment increase, that's a big story. And what we're seeing at this point points to an enrollment drop off, especially in the lower grades, parents holding out kindergartners or elementary school students. So again, the hard numbers will come in in a few weeks, but um, barring a major reversal, I think we're gonna see declines in enrollment and that affects uh, funding for, for traditional public schools. All right, Kevin Richard, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 
Idaho Reports is off for the next two weeks for the Idaho Debates virtual candidate Q&A programs. These aren't traditional debates thanks to COVID-19. Instead, we're doing separate pre-taped interviews with the candidates. It's not as ideal as live debates, but especially with the news from the last few days, we're doing what we can to keep our crew safe. Our first program with Idaho Congressional District 1 candidates airs Friday, October 8th at 8 p.m. Idaho Congressional District 2 candidates are Monday, October 12th, and U.S. Senate candidates are Friday, October 16th, all at 8 p.m. Idaho Reports returns the following week. Thanks for watching and stay safe, Idaho. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.